You're listening to the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Spotlight on eWomen, the place for everything eWomen Network. Entrepreneur, enterprising, enlightening, and exciting. Please welcome your eWoman host, Phyllis Smith. Hi, and welcome to Spotlight on eWomen Network. I'm Phyllis Smith. So, on Spotlight, we introduce you to some amazing members from eWomen Network who have overcome tremendous odds to achieve success. One such woman is Tanya Target. Uh, she's a solo parent and an entrepreneur, but she used the power of her profile to build a six-figure business within just months of fleeing an abusive domestic relationship. She is an award-winning investigative journalist, international speaker, and has graced the stage with some of the top thought leaders in the world. Uh, she has used her news background to become a leading expert in publicity, and uh, you're going to hear quite a story today. She hails from Australia, has just been here just a few months, and um, she is, uh, she's got quite a story and quite a lot of information for you to help you uh, get publicity and make the most out of your story. So, Tanya, thank you for joining us. Oh, my total pleasure and honor. Thank you so much, Phyllis, for having me. So uh, let's get back to what happened. <laughs> you were, uh, you were, and, and I want to say, first of all, you're going to tell us a story and it's so brave of you and thank you for uh, sharing what you're about to share with us. And especially in these times of the, the Me Too movement, um, we're just starting to see so many women uh, come forward uh, and and who have been abused and so we're going to hear your story and and thank you for the courage to share and uh, and letting other people uh, hear it as well. So take us back to the beginning. Where were you? Who, and 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 what happened? And when did you wake up out of it? Uh, yeah, it's a, it, it was a long process. I often talk about a frog. Uh, they talk about a frog on a pot being boiled alive. And uh, are you familiar with that analogy, Phyllis, about the frog on the pot? I'm not familiar with that at all, but I can visualize yeah, it. I mean, I, it, I feel the pain. I thought I'd ask because it might be an Australian analogy, but if you want to cook a frog and uh, you don't have boiling water, because if you have boiling water and the frog jumps in or you put the frog in, the frog instinctively jumps out. So if you want to cook a frog, you want to have warm water, put the frog in and then slowly turn up the heat. Mm. And that was my life. The heat was slowly turned up. And then I woke up one day and I discovered that I had been one of the women that I used to write stories about. Here I was, a university educated woman, very successful, had a great career. And I even was blessed and had a little girl by that stage. And then somehow I'd signed over all my assets, all my ownership, uh, all my control over to the man in my life. And it was so bad that I was only allowed to drive within a certain distance of my house. I was not allowed to shop from certain stores. And my bank account, which was a joint account, was audited at the end of each month. And then I was required to account for any uh, missing funds. And it was, it was a, it was, this process happened over years. Uh, and what I found myself was and in, in, these tip, in these relationships, what is typical is I was slowly isolated and I was slowly cut off from my friends. I geographically have moved from where I had been a very successful investigative news journalist out into an area where I had no family, no friends. And then I was trapped. 
you know, how, how do you get out? And the turning point for me goes back a few years ago and I was near, it was Christmas Eve, actually it was Christmas Eve and I was sitting next to my then husband and he was, I kind of knew he was cheating and I'm going to be very warts and all here with you guys because I, I do think that as women and men who do go through this too, we have a responsibility to talk about this. We have a responsibility to make it okay to talk about this. And by doing so, by us being brave and being vocal, it gives permission not only to other men and women to talk about it, but to our children. And for me, I was always going to stay in the relationship until there came that day when I was no longer a good role model for my daughter. And, and I'm going to own up to this here. That day came quite a few times and I still wasn't ready to leave. And uh, Christmas Eve a few years ago, my husband was on his phone texting and I said to him, I said to him, oh, could you put your phone down? It's Christmas Eve. What are you doing? And he said to me, I'm telling two, two women that I love them very, very much and I'm not going to stop. And I thought ah. to myself, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> There's myself and your daughter who are two women in your lives. We're both here in the room and you're not texting us. So who are you texting? And I couldn't deny it anymore. So I, I got up. I went downstairs. We were on holiday at the time and I hopped on the flight plans and I looked for a flight back to where I lived and I thought to myself, I got right through to the checkout page and I thought to myself, I can't make this the Christmas that my daughter remembers her mummy left her dad. So I sucked it up. I did what I could. The next morning I rang my best friend. I was so physically sick. I was vomiting and I was crying and I was vomiting and I was crying and I would talk to my best friend to get me through the day. And then I would call her again in the evening to get me through into the evening and the, the process would happen. And he was on a, a roster. So he was certain number of days with me, certain number of days not with me. And I knew that I was going, and, but my little girl didn't know I was going. And he had given me six weeks to get a job at the local supermarket and I was not allowed to work in publicity or journalism anymore. And I was told that I was not to be a smart ass and I was to do as I was told and this is how it was going to go down. And my daughter burst into tears and she was about, um, she was actually, sorry, she was about nine at the time, eight or nine at the time. And she looked at me and she was crying and she said to me, mummy, if we don't stand up to bullies, they'll rule the world. And she was talking about her father. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, mm. I should have already have gotten out. And I, look, and I still didn't tell her, but I thought to myself, thank goodness I have made this decision. And in two weeks we were out and I was only out because a girlfriend of mine who watched this happen, who witnessed this happen, who'd said to me, Tanya, you are virtually unrecognisable and do you want to be a bad role model to your daughter, Olivia? And that was just a smack across the face that I needed. But had it not been, not just for that smack across the face, but she put her name on a, on a townhouse for me to get out because I was a woman isolated. I was a woman with none of her own funds. I earned money, but none of them were mine. My car wasn't even in my own name. None of my assets were in my own name. I walked into the relationship with $200,000 in the bank and I walked out with the clothes in my wardrobe. And had she not put her name on that townhouse, I would have been stuck. I could have gone to a women's shelter, but that meant I would have taken my daughter and I would have had to have left behind my, my two dogs and my cat. And like many people, we don't want to leave behind our animals because they are our family. So I'm very blessed that my girlfriend was able to do that for me. And then I had six weeks. I took six weeks cash from the bank. And I've got to tell you, I felt like Thelma and Louise going into that bank to take that money out to, to, to leave. My, I felt like everybody knew that I was guilty. I felt that security guards were going to come from everywhere because it looked like I was going to rob the bank. 
And my heart was jumping and I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And my, my palms were sweaty uh, until I got that money out of the bank. And then I had six weeks to turn things around, six weeks to have enough money in the bank to feed my daughter and pay my rent. Oh, it's, it's, it's hard to even listen to, you know, I'm looking at this beautiful, you know, creature, you're just gorgeous and you have this light in your eyes and it's hard to even imagine that darkness that was in your life, that at one time you were living in this, this cave chained, you know, to a rock. I mean, it sounds horrible. Um, it's interesting. I have a very dear friend who went through the same thing and I had no idea she had gotten re recently had gotten married. I went to her wedding in London and it, he, this guy was madly in love with her. And the next thing I know, I'm not hearing from her for, for, you know, really for like a couple of years. And finally she comes to the States to visit and she tells me that he's been verbally abusive and controlling and angry. And, and she, that, that she was a shell. Yeah of the yeah. person I knew. And I look at you and I look at my friend, I ask you, how does it get that way? How, is there something in, in you, in your own self-worth that would allow it to go on? Or was it just like a circumstance that things were happening and it just, you didn't even know it was happening? I think it has to be, it has to be a combination of both. Um, I have to take ownership for allowing it to happen to me. And I know that some people are going to be very infuriated at that comment. Um, but the truth is that I, I could have left at any point in time. The truth is I did attract that kind of person into my life. The truth is I chose to ignore the warning signs. The truth is I chose to make excuses for that person and his behavior because I, I lack confidence in myself um, and I bought into what was being played. So he would say things to me like, you'll never survive without me. You'll never make it on your own. No man is ever going to want you. Mm. And when you, when you hear it enough, and if you, and if you have that in you, um, I mean, I grew up uh, in a household where I was a smart one and my sister was the pretty one. Mm. So he was pressing a, a part of me that was already sensitive and they know this. So did I ask for this? No. Uh, would I like to have avoided this? Absolutely. Um, but I do take responsibility and ownership and I take responsibility and ownership that I was a contributor to make sure that it does not happen again. And the other thing too, Phyllis, is I had to go. I had to go. And the turning point for me was not just Olivia, my daughter saying, you know, if you don't stand up to bullies, they rule the world. But where would I be as a parent if she repeated this cycle? And I said to her, you need to get out. And she could turn to me and say, well, you didn't. Well, if for some reason she repeats that cycle, I can turn to her and I can say, you need to get out. And she can't turn around and say, well, mummy, you didn't because guess what? Mummy did. Uh, so that's also a very important uh, lesson for us. Yes. It's, it's, it's us looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, seeing our children. And what would you tell your child? What would you tell your best friend? And being able to do what you did and step out and say, I, I have to, if my daughter came to me in the same situation, I would have to tell, I would say to her, you have to leave. Yeah. You know? And uh, wow, what an, how long did that last? Um, well, two things there. Firstly, you, you mentioned to me, what would I say? Uh, and my, my, I've often said this to myself and I've sat alone quietly as my life literally blossomed around me. 
and I, after I left, and I said to myself, Tanya, if you only knew then what you knew now, if you, and I've just got goosebumps, if I had have known that I would have been okay, if I had have known that everything would have been all right, if I'd have known that everything would have been provided for and it turned up when it needed to, I would have left so much sooner. So my, my thoughts would be, if you only knew now what you will know in the future, you will go. Uh, because at the end of the day, we're a long time dead. This is no dress rehearsal. And we need to set the example for ourselves, for our children, for our partners. And we deserve to have more. Incredible. So then you, you leave. You come to the States right away or you went to your girlfriend. You went to this, this townhouse that your girlfriend set up for you, correct? Yeah, townhouse. Uh, I got out. So I dropped my daughter at school. Uh, she still didn't know mummy was leaving daddy. And um, I had my house flagged, which means that the police are made aware that there could be an incident at a house. I was so intimidated by him, although I tried to talk to him about leaving before I was laughed at. And he's a very tall man. He's six foot six and I'm only five foot five. So I found it very intimidating, which again is ironic. I'm a strong woman, but there we go. I, uh, I, I felt that way. So I actually got uh, legal assistance to, to broker that news. And while that was being delivered, I um, got a truck, dropped my daughter at school from the car, and in the afternoon um, took her home to another house and broke the news to her. And then I had six weeks to try to make things work. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. My, I'm very fortunate that I had some very positive girlfriends who, who said to me, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And I was so broken for this. You talked about your girlfriend being not even recognizable. I totally get that. Like I, I, I barely spoke. I barely spoke because I couldn't say anything right. And I was on eggshells and it was easier just to be quiet. And I saw myself as like a little tea light candle. And I was terrified that at any moment, a little tea light candle in, in a glass. And I was terrified that at any moment, a little puff of wind would come and extinguish the flame and I would be trapped forever. So I totally get how, you know, women and men become um, unrecognizable. And then I had this, this six week period to, to make things happen. And I was so broken. I met with a girlfriend of mine who um, to this day is still my graphic designer. And I met with my friend Katrina over a coffee and I said to her, what do I do? And she said, what, what do you mean, what do you do? And I said, well, how many chances at entrepreneurs do we get? I'd already had a business and I had an inland tsunami come through, kill 28 people, wipe out my high six-figure turning seven-figure business in the period of an hour, um, and then had a stroke from the stress of it. And then I got to go again. I mean, how many chances do we get to go again? And I said to her, you know, is it time to go and get a day job? And she said, no, you have that spark in you. You have that thing in you. You've got to go again. And, uh, and I said to her, well, you know what? I don't even have the strength to make that decision. So you're making it for me. Okay, I'll go again. And fortunately, I put my future in the hands of someone who's, you know, who made the right decision for me. And then I started reverse engineering and I started thinking about what is it that I want? And I wanted to be online, but I, he I heard that online was harder than live training. So then I went about learning about live training. Uh, and uh, I left at the end of January and at the end of April when I was literally running out of money, I stood in front of a room full of people doing my first selling from stage uh, and I heard that little voice in the back of my head. Uh, in Australia, we, we call it the Itty Bitty Committee and I heard that in the back of my head saying, you can't do this on your own. You can't survive without me and I 
burst into, t- I'm not talking about a little tear trickling down my cheek. I'm talking about ugly faced tears in front of a room full of people as a keynote speaker. I couldn't even catch my words. I was mortified, embarrassed, horrified all at the same time. I'd spoken in front of people before, but I, it was the pressure. I've got no family anywhere. Um, so it was the pressure of knowing that I was running out. I had, you know, virtually no money left to pay rent. I, to feed my daughter, what was I going to do? Everything hinged on this one moment. Well, fortunately, people felt sorry for me <laughs> and they bought tickets into my workshop and then that became a $12,500 first sale. And from there, I kept going. I expanded into other cities. I worked on my mindset. Uh, and then uh, when I reached a, a point where I could no longer do any more workshops because they were sold out across Australia, I pivoted online. Uh, came to the uh, America to learn that and then made the top 10 in a global marketing competition. And as a result of that, uh, kept speaking and kept spending more time over here. You know, it's interesting when you're vulnerable like that in front of people, they receive that, they relate to that. It, do you think that that was one, you said they felt sorry for you, but you've also expressed something that people in that room had felt at one time. What was that like for you to, when, when you were totally breaking down? Because I've been there where I start crying and I can't stop. I mean, the more I say, stop crying, stop crying, stop crying, I keep crying. Like, how did you, how, what did you say? When, because it wasn't, it sounds like it was kind of random, like in the middle of whatever you were talking about, and then you burst into tears. It was about three slides in as I was sharing my story. So right at the beginning of my talk, and I felt like I was drowning. I, you know, as a media and publicity trainer, we, we learn things called segues to, to go from one conversation to the next. But here was the, the keynote speaker blubbering down the front of the room. There was no way to segue from that. And I couldn't even catch my breath. Um, so I felt like I was drowning. And it was also a very difficult position to be in, but, but a very fortunate position because to go back further, my dad was in the British SAS. He's a former British commando. In, uh, I grew up in the Middle East. Uh, he was in charge of the Sultan Special Services. And so I was taught to show no weakness. And yet here I was in front of a room full of people showing full vulnerability and weakness. So that on the one sense was horrifying, but Phyllis, it was incredibly powerful because as a result of that, my uh, speech coach came to me and he said, Tanya, what do you want to do about your perfectionism? Because I'd never prepared for anything as much as I had for that moment. And I said to him, you're quite right. In that moment, instead of working for me, which it had always done, it, uh, it paralyzed me. And so I became open to, um, to learning about the mind and mindset coaching. Whereas a cynical investigative journalist, you know, mindset stuff, that's way too woo-woo. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but I'd hit another rock bottom. So I was like, you know what? I don't care how it works. I've got a little girl to feed. Uh, please tell me, uh, you know, what to do. And what I learned was that by showing vulnerability and asking for help takes courage and strength. Uh, rather than showing weakness, what it is quite the opposite. It's when we don't ask for help and we try to pretend that everything's going okay. That's actually being cowardice. By showing that we're not coping and asking for help, and showing that vulnerability shows great strength and courage. So I'm very fortunate that I didn't, you know, that I got that I got to learn that. And I view it very differently now. Would I, you know, uh, I don't obviously want to repeat performance. I but say you got to you burst into tears now every time you do it. You, you, you oh, get on here stage. comes Tanya. <laughs> no, but there was no segue. I just kept trying, and my voice was broken, and and it was there was no recovering. Like there was just 
no one was going to be able to help other than that, you know, you sort of the old cartoons where that, that shepherd's hook comes on and pulls me off stage. That probably would have been my lifesaver. Well, you are something else. And I've got to believe that your dad's military toughness that that's in you somewhere, you know, that, that you, you came with that and that's what has part of what, you know, we could get mad at our parents for something like that. Like, Oh, he was so tough, but that gave that I, I imagine that that gave you some, something, something in oh. you in your DNA, just, you know, once you totally. got out of there, you were nonstop. I'm going to make this happen. Totally. Uh, the SAS motto is he who dares wins. And ever since a little girl, as far back as I can remember before I was four or five years old, I was already saying she who dares wins. So I have had that mantra in my mind the whole time. And it's a mantra I share with my daughter. And yes, it, it allows me to be brave because she who dares wins. We're going to take a short break, Tanya, and then when we come back, we're going to hear from you about uh, publicity, how you have used your investigative reporting and news background to help others shape their story, find their story, and shape their stories. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Welcome back to Spotlight on eWomen. Here's your host, Phyllis Smith. And welcome back to Spotlight on E-Women Network. I'm Phyllis Smith, and I am talking with the most interesting, beautiful, brilliant, brave Tanya Target. Thank you so much for being here, Tanya. And uh, we have just learned or a you know this horrific story from a, this victim to triumph, and it's it's really quite something how you. You got out of this this uh, abusive domestic um, uh, situation in Australia, and and you have managed to turn your life around. You have you have this daughter, and 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 you are just taking the world by storm. So what I want to ask you, because you and I both have similar background in news and in, and uh, and reporting. Um, I was a, a news reporter for CBS radio and, and producer, and I was on the Today Show as a producer. So I really get this whole idea and what people struggle with is being able to, to, tell, to take a long story, you know, that could go pages and pages. Of course, we have our lifetime. How do we narrow that down into that nugget when we are talking about our business how do we narrow that down? What, what would you, what, what, what do you, how do you help your clients uh, find that, that nugget? Yeah, and it, it is, you know, it's a very common problem in that we do have this whole life experience. And what I find business owners try to do is they, they try to basically vomit all over the news reporter, their total life um, experience. But we need to understand is that the journalist hasn't met you, hasn't necessarily met you before. And even if they have, they might have only met you and spent a few minutes with you. So they don't have all the background that you have. And they have a very short period of time to digest and be able to identify your story. So the first thing that I share with people is firstly, isolate 
where are you going? Because where are you going determines which aspects of your story that you are going to be sharing. Um, so Phyllis, when you and I were talking about this, we talked about domestic violence. Would you like me to talk about that? Because if I was going to uh, another outlet and domestic violence wasn't suitable, I would have pulled other aspects of my story. So the big thing is match the angle, the hook, that part of your story to the outlet that you're going to. Uh, and another example of that is when I was speaking on uh, Jeff Walker's stage at LaunchCon a couple of years ago, again, when I was talking about the heart of the fighter and how many opportunities do we get in entrepreneurship to go again, no part of that had any kind of domestic violence in it because the audience, uh, it didn't match what the audience wanted. And when we go to CNN or Today or to uh, Forbes, we're basically, when we are giving a story idea to a journalist, it has to be relevant to their audience. So it's not just that journalists that we're trying to match to because they are picking and buying stories for their audience. So the first thing is, is match that part of your story with where you are going. The second thing too is, is that um, while the same information is often put out there, the same tips, the same advice, what is unique to you is in fact your unique story. So a lot of people are concerned about sharing their story. I'm quite sure how to do that. But it is, in fact, your hero's journey. And I use that language because there'll be a lot of e-women and um, e-men on here who are in the online space, very familiar with that hero's journey. And that hero's journey, which is what we see in the movies and in the Black Panther and in the Avengers, that's what people want to hear about. And every single one of us has that hero's journey story. And, and please don't compare your hero's journey with mine. Um, you know, if there was someone standing next to me, they would go, oh, Tanya's got such a great story. Mine's not very good. But to the other person standing next to you, your story is really good and they don't have a great story. So just as they say, the grass is always greener on the house next door. The story is always better for the person next to you. Right. And for somebody who's uh, want, you know, wanting to get publicity for their business online, for example, um, and they're not on stage telling a story, but you know, they want to tell the story of their business, but I, do you agree that it's also important to be personal and tell your story as well? So for example, on your website, you know, your about section, like people don't think about, or they don't know, I don't know what to tell. I'm not interesting, right? Yeah. How do you find that interesting story to tell that will be relevant to the business and say people coming to your website? The first is the first is making up words here. Uh, the, the first step, that's what we say in Australia. The first step is what brought you to this moment? My, my first question would be, you know, what brought you to this moment where you are today? What made you decide to do this business that you were doing? Because media and publicity, even when you're trying to get it for your business, it is never about your business. It's always about that backstory. It's the story behind the story, the story behind the business. Did you have a health scare? Did you have a family situation? Um, did you have a change in, in, in fortunes? Did you go through a huge recession and you went in quite well, you had all this property and then you came out the other side and you had nothing. And so you had to pivot. And as a result of that pivot, this is what you learned. Now, it's very important that you do that because number one, it's your key point of difference. No one else has your story. Number two, people buy from people they know, like, and trust. 
So if you're not sharing elements of your story, then they're not going to know you and they're going to be least likely to trust you. The other thing too is, is that we're looking for a connection. Never before in such an age of connection have we been so disconnected. So by sharing that element of your personal story, you're also giving people the ability to connect with you. Um, but the key thing is, is which parts of my story do I bring to my website? Well, you might have multiple websites or landing pages based on the different products that you have and therefore match the elements of the story with the product that you have there and the audience that is coming. So for instance, say you were sharing uh, nutrition tips. Well, you might share elements of your story about how you struggled with nutrition and you were, you were undiagnosed with different things and then you eliminated this, you eliminated that and boom, baba jing, you know, you're much, much better and here's my tips and, and you can get my freebie. You might also have another product about relationships. So on that landing page or that website, you might be talking about how, you know, you, you struggled maybe from depression or something or other. And as part of your discovery, you discovered this. You're not going to be talking about your nutrition hero's journey or story from zero to triumph because that wouldn't be relevant. So just as we match elements of our story for where we are going with media outlets, you are your own publisher. So I want you to think about matching elements of your story with where you are publishing on your own website or landing page. When I was in the news business, one of the things that we always did, say we had a, a story about, I don't know, heart disease. Well, you never just tell a story about heart disease and what that means. You find somebody who has heart disease so you can you can have a story to that that's personal. And I think that that's so important. I think even if you have you have two different things, two different you're just telling something about yourself and then you have a product that even in the product I, I people buy because of your why. It's it's really it's they don't buy because they they want your product but it's the why behind the product as well. And you just, you brought that up and why your story is, is so important. Um, in also in the news business, and you know this, and is, is finding the soundbite. Um, soundbite is that 10 second little piece of, you know, clip from a video that, that tells the story. And honing that skill to find that story is very difficult. That's why they hire people like you. <laughs> so, so you can help them and find that story. But I think it comes down to curiosity is, is I've been with people where, um, that a like they're, and tell me if this is true for you on the outside, you look at them and they're like, well, what's, what's special about them? You know, they're, you know, they just kind of, I don't know, they're, they're just sort of anybody, Joe, anybody. And then you just start asking questions and you suddenly get their story, where they were, what matters to them, their trials, their tribulations. I do this all the time because I am just a general, generally a curious person. And so I think, do you, would you agree that someone could do that with themselves? Like they have to pull themselves out or have someone like you or someone else ask them questions so that they can pull that story out of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes, it, it starts and comes down to five W's and one H, which many people watching this would be familiar with. You've got who, what, why, when, where, and how. And, and a great way that you can prep for media interviews as well as interviewing yourself and pulling your story out is to say, well, okay, who am I? What happened? What brought me to this? When did that happen? Where was I when that happened? Where did that happen? Who, what, why? 
when, where, and how. <laughs> I know I just got to go through <laughs> and how. And then you just keep diving into those. And and a key, uh, another key question I use with with my students, uh, and also to find those sound bites is, we need to convey to our audience. Um, what we see because what we see they don't see and we have this thing called the curse of genius and when we dive behind that envelope of the curse of genius that's when we get those really great sound bites on the fluff on the surface we've got all the network you know the networking and I do this in my elevator pitch or my you know my, my pitch but behind that is where the gold is mm. and and you're so right you'll have one expert says this one expert says this and then they always want using heart disease, a mum and dad or a, a, the average person on the street on what it means for them. And so to find those sound bites, I talk about, well, you know, what does it look like to you when you see someone, uh, you know, if you, when you were going through this, when you made this pivot, what did it look like? What did you actually physically see? When you see someone who's experiencing troubles, what does it look like to you? And the more that you dig in and you keep asking who, what, why, when, where, and how, the better those sound bites become record yourself do this on a phone and practice it and then you will and play it back and you'll start to hear oh i'm waffling or oh that sounded good and then start to train yourself that way so obviously you know media training is phenomenal um but what can we do right now to to get better in sound bites for our facebook lives for our podcast we can start to embrace this who what why when where and how and we can interview ourselves to pull the story out as though a reporter would and record ourselves and play it back very good. We have run out of time, Tanya Target. Thank you so much. You have such great wisdom, and we're so glad you're here and you're safe and you are out there in the world making a difference. So thank you so much. My total pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's virtual office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's virtual office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's virtual office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. You're listening to the EWN Podcast Network.